Thank you, Melanie. Good morning. I'm Steve Coleman, one of the teachers here at New Hope Chapel. How have you been doing these last 10 weeks or so? We have seen big changes in how we live and have experienced a relative isolation from people that's probably unprecedented in your life. The isolation from people together with changes in the way we do things and maybe insecurities about the future or whatever particular stresses you feel apply constant pressure on our lives. Over the last few weeks, I have struggled with depression and I'm sure it is due to the pressures from accumulated stress. So I'll ask you again, how are you doing? We're not together, so we can't interact on this. But if you are feeling the stress, I have good news for you. You're not alone. And we're gonna talk about several people in the Old Testament who were under great pressure and stress and see what they did. There are lessons to be learned from some of Israel's heroes. And the first one is Moses. You remember when we talked about Moses at the beginning of the Exodus series, God attracted him with a burning bush and called to him out from the bush. And the Lord told him to go lead Israel out of Egypt. Moses responds, do you remember it? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God's reply, he said, I will be with you. And God also gave him signs to show the Israelites and the Egyptians. Under pressure, God gives Moses the fundamental truth to hold on to, that Moses would not be going it alone. I will be with you. A second lesson in dealing with the pressurized situation occurs early in the life of David. David had unusual clarity of perspective that we can learn from. When Israel was facing a huge Philistine army, he was there to deliver care packages to his brother from, brothers from home. While he was there, he heard the defiant challenge from Goliath. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then he shouted, this day I defy the armies of Israel. David, hearing what he said, said, who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Well, even though David wasn't part of the army, he went and talked to Saul and Saul actually let him go out to be the champion to fight against Goliath. You know, when he entered the field of battle, Goliath sniffed with disgust at David coming to face him. David declares to him in 1 Samuel 17, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Who thinks like this? Someone with an entirely different point of view from the average person. Perspective is everything. David saw things through God's eyes, not the eyes of a shepherd carrying no real weapons, just a staff and a slingshot. He understood what the stakes were, and he understood 
who it was that was with him and was on his side. All right, the third story. As David understood, and you will see in the story of Hananiah and his friends, if God is with us, who can be against us? You know, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are the Hebrew names of men we get to know in the book of Daniel as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, where these men uh, had been taken uh, when Israel was sacked and taken into captivity, king of Babylon, he was pleased with Daniel and these three men. He made them administrators over the province of Babylon. They had become executives in his government, department heads, division directors. Sometime later, King Nebuchadnezzar set up a large gold statue and required everyone to fall down and worship it. The death penalty would be for the one who failed to bow down and worship. Well, you know, these three men, they did not. They could not bow down because it, they, would be, they worshiped the living God and him only. They couldn't bow down to idols and be true to God. When the word got to the king that these administrators had not bowed down, he was furious and immediately summoned these key officials. And he asked them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You talk about being under pressure. Why does Nebuchadnezzar even bring up God? The answer is, we know from chapter 1 in Daniel, that he became well aware of the God of Israel. And he was here challenging their God with Nebuchadnezzar, his own authority. And he made it personal. Who's going to deliver from my hand? They replied to the king. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You know, we know that they were ultimately preserved and protected by God. However, they didn't know it at the time. And they didn't know that they were going to get thrown into that furnace and that God would protect them from the furnace uh, instead of delivering them before they were thrown in. However, they did know at that time, under that severe pressure, that God was present with them, they had the perspective, they saw things through God's eyes, and they relied on the power of God. They relied on God and testified to his ability to save. All right, so we've had those three things, those three stories, talking about God going with Moses, talk about David seeing things through God's eyes, and Hananiah and his friends 
relying on the power of God. One final story. During the time uh, that Israel was being pressed by the Philistines, matter of fact, it was during the time they had a real chokehold on the country. And King Saul was trying to uh, wage war against them in spite of the fact that Israel was occupied. He and his son Jonathan were leading the army. Uh, King Saul had about 3,000 men under his command, and he attacked a Philistine camp. Well, you know, the Philistines responded by bringing up its army and camping across the valley from Israel. They had 3,000 chariots. They had 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. We know completely intimidated, the men of the army of Israel began to slip away to desert the army. In the end, because of the pressure of the Philistine army and the fact that they were ready to annihilate Israel, Israel's army shrinks to about 600 men. And if that's not bad enough, we read at the end of 1 Samuel 13 that none of the soldiers in the Israelite army had a sword or spear. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had sort of formal weapons. You see, the Philistines had eliminated all blacksmiths in Israel to keep this country subjugated. So Israel didn't have a way to make weapons. They had to be taking anything they wanted sharpened over to Philistine blacksmiths. So here the men of Israel sit, a small, terrified group of men armed only with clubs, ox goads, pitchforks, and other farm implements. You know, I can see Jonathan looking at the crude weapons of these remaining 600 men and then looking at his own sword, and he decided to make a move. He gets his armor bearer and slips out of camp, not to desert, but with a plan to go to the Philistine outpost. Jonathan's reasoning, he says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or few. Further, he tells his armor bearer, if they say to us, wait here until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, We will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Well, the Philistines call for them to come up. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. He and his armor bearer climb up the ravine. And at the top where the outpost is, they kill some 20 Philistines. Then God brought an earthquake and sent the Philistine army into panic. They fought each other in the confusion, and there was a rout. Israel had the victory. Well, how do we understand Jonathan's actions? Was he just being naive in his optimism? Was he reckless with a misguided sense of adventure? What I'm suggesting to you is no. He saw the same thing Saul and the Israelite army saw, but he saw them from a big picture perspective. He saw them through the eyes of God. He recognized that God had provided equipment for him 
that he was equipped to do battle. And he also knew God and his character. What he did had a risk associated, but it was based on the rock-solid character of God, the God who saves. Jonathan saw a need, saw that he was equipped to contribute, and he knew God was not limited in how he could bring a victory. Well, let's summarize the four stories and see how they apply to us. All four were under great pressure, and all four in their story show us principles of God. So Moses, first of all, uh, had the pressure of going to tell the Pharaoh of Egypt to let the people of Israel go. And the great lesson Moses learned is that God would be with him, that he would never be alone. He would have God. We have that too. We need to realize that God is with us. Secondly, David, provoked by Goliath, and he went and confronted Goliath, and he did so not because he was reckless, but because he saw things through God's eyes. Here was this Philistine who was defying the armies of the living God. You know, for you and I, when we're under pressure, it always helps to take a step back, to be in prayer, to be reading the Bible, of course, and getting the perspective, how does God see this situation through the eyes of eternity? What is eternally important here? Who is God? And that perspective is so critical. I know that's one of the things I wrestle with very much when I am struggling with depression because my mind always sees things as and in the negative light, things are going to go wrong, things are going to fail, whatever I do can't have any good outcome, hopeless. And we need to hang on to the truth that God is God, and his pers- from his perspective and with his presence, we have what we need. Thirdly, Hannah and I and his friends were being threatened with execution if they didn't violate their loyalty to God. And they stood firm based on their trust in the power of God and a recognition that even if God didn't choose to save them, he still was God and they weren't going to bow down. For you and I, uh, as we deal with pressure and stress, we have to trust in God's power. And even if he doesn't choose to resolve the situation the way we're thinking, Trusting in his power, we cannot go wrong. And then finally, Jonathan and the Israelite army being threatened by the Philistines. What Jonathan did is he took his sword, one of the two people that had formal weapons, and he set out to to carry, to take what he had, the resources he had, and utilize them uh, where there was a need, even though it didn't look like there was any chance of a resolution here. He used what he had and the resources God had given him. And uh, we can use the spiritual gift we've been given and the time and energy resources we have from God and uh, carry out the work of his kingdom 
you know, we're all on the front line of ministry in this world. There are needs all around us. But we have a love for God in our hearts, given to us by God and for the purpose of sharing. Just like Jonathan said, when he said, the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan was acting there as the hand of Israel in that situation. His victory was a victory for Israel. Well, you and I are the hands of New Hope Chapel in each moment. We are the hand of God to every person we meet. You see, ministry is done by each of us. We are the church. We've all been given abilities and opportunities. So the best thing we can do, whether we're doing fine or whether we're feeling under the pressure, is to figure out what our gift is, what our resources are, what our opportunities are, and set out to use them to bless others. God can and will do something with that. It's in his character. So these four principles, I think, will be so helpful as we uh, continue to deal in a quarantine situation. And I trust that uh, thinking on these, looking at how God worked with people in the past under tremendous pressure, will bless you today and uh, give you encouragement. Thank you very much. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we are grateful for all the promises we have in you. We're grateful that you, the great God of the universe, deigns to live with us. That you work in our lives from your perspective. That your great power is available to us and that you promise to work in our lives and work through us in ways that will uh, have eternal benefit, eternal results, and we thank you for that. Lord, help us just to take what we're able to do, a kind word, a good gesture, a kind deed, anything, and take that and give us the opportunities, give us the nudge to use them to uh, encourage others so that your spirit can take that good word and drive it into the hearts of the people that we meet. In your name, amen.